Welcome, Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. Uh, once again, I have another stellar guest today that I was uh, fortunate to meet on the Living Undeterred U.S. tour uh, in uh, beautiful Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, I do have to be careful because we did so many stops. I met so many people. I've been saying Utah when I meant to say Las Vegas. And so uh, anyway, Taryn, great to meet you. Uh, it was really an honor to hear you talk at uh, our stop. And I think the guests are in for a real treat today because we're going to navigate. And full disclosure, we're, we're going to get into some sensitive topics. Uh, both of us uh, are very comfortable sharing our personal stories. But this is really about you, about your journey. Uh, and I'm, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. So we ended up uh, in your backyard a few months ago, had an opportunity to speak there. Um, tell us a little bit about the area there that you're from and why mental health and substance use, distress and uh, addiction are, are such big concerns in your life. So I live, obviously you mentioned Utah, and I'm actually south of Salt Lake City. So I live in Utah County. And, you know, the area that I grew up in, I'm a, I'm a lifer. I always say that. I've been here my whole life. But, you know, Utah is uh, densely populated um, with, you know, Mormonism. That's, that's just a, a huge dominant religion here. Mm -hmm. And so definitely through my experiences growing up here, there was a lot of shame around mental health, um, especially those of us who struggled. Um, a lot of shame around substance use and, and really mm -hmm. help seeking and getting help and support for that. And so in my, my years of, of the work that I've been doing, you know, it, it definitely has just come to light how much work we have to do to really get rid of the stigma that surrounds those two deaths of despair and, mm -hmm. and help people to get, you know, support. And then more obviously in, in, you know, close to home is we lost uh, my dad to suicide. My father struggled mm -hmm. with substance use and depression and, um, anxiety and and a lot of those years it was just not well treated because of that stigma so he died by suicide 20 years ago this coming weekend i remember you sharing the story yeah and um you know you and i both have anniversary dates coming yeah. uh what was the date of your dad's death yeah so he died on october 5th of 2002 okay. seth's october 4th of 2016 yeah so we're remember when you so said <laughs> yeah, they're significant days, but I think, you know, I know for me and I can't speak for you and I, I'm sure we'll hear your thoughts on this, but I've tried to take these, these death dates and these birth dates and these graduation dates and with a little bit different lens, more of gratitude, more of respect, more of the fact I got to know Seth for as long as I did. He didn't die at 12. He didn't die at four. I mean, you know, I'd love to see him here at 29. His birthday was a couple of days ago, but you know, the reality is he's not here. I am. I can continue his story just like you're doing to honor your debt, your dad. And obviously, you know, in the mental health space you're in, I'm sure your dad isn't the only one that you know, that's that died by either suicide, alcohol, or overdose. Yeah. Um, so it seems like these anniversaries are, they're almost every week. They're almost every month. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely way too many, you know, and again, our dad died on what's known as the LDS general conference weekend, and that's coming up this weekend. And so, oh, wow. you know, for me, it, it's more the, the weekend, right? Like the day was the day, right? Mm -hmm. But it's that, you know, waking up on that Saturday morning, like it was 20 years ago, you know, it was a glorious fall morning and beautiful. And, and yet, you know, I knew, I knew he was, he was not well. Um, he, he was, 
he was, he struggled for a long time, but you know, that night before he'd given me a, a call and, um, I didn't answer because I just didn't have it in me to have, you know, the intoxicated mm. discussions that we'd been having. He, oh, yeah. he had a pretty significant, um, dependence upon Ambien and was taking upwards of 30 a day in the three weeks. Holy cow. Yeah. And, and I don't know. He was getting a lot of that illegally then he was or getting on it the street. Let's say, Oh, he was getting it from pharmacies. Cause he paid. Are you serious? He was just shopping around. He was doctor shopping, was jumping doctor around and, and he just, he, and the same pharmacies because he paid. Oh cash, my Lord. Couldn't track the sales, which again is BS. Well, now they it, can, right? Yep, now they can. Yep. Our state, my sisters and I, you know, threw pretty big stink after he died. And, and we I worked bet. hard to make sure that the doffel rules were followed and that people were, um, again, just because he paid cash and he didn't bill his insurance, you still have record that you dispensed medication to this person a day Absolutely. ago. You shouldn't be giving him a new prescription. So, yeah, there was a lot of, of failures, really, of our system that that kind of contributed to his his death. And so, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things, like, you know, you know, you replay it. And then I always have had just immense gratitude um, that it was me who found him because, you know, I oh, think wow. of all the times as a teenager, my father mm -hmm. found me that way, you know, mm -hmm. or I'd overdosed or I tried to take my own life and, you know, miraculously I, I survived. And, and so I was just grateful. It wasn't a stranger, you know, it wasn't somebody who didn't care. Um, mm -hmm. It was me. And, and that's a cherished moment in my life. You know, I, I, I will always cherish that, that moment of getting to, you know, you know, Taryn, it's probably a little, I hear a lot of people that in this space I'm in that have found their children either, you know, I don't want to be too graphic, but I know a mom that I, that their 11 year old, that she found her hanging and a lot of people kind of look at that as a curse, you've kind of turned it into something that's an inspiration that, yeah. and I think the way that you frame it really dictates the quality of the rest of your life. And we get punished, we punish ourselves in framing things non in a very unproductive manner. You know, yeah. I mean, I could frame my son's death in any manner that I choose. I choose to frame it in the, the most, you know, motivational, inspirational, I miss him. You miss your dad. I miss my wife. I mean, no one's going to debate that the pain is there. It's just the, the suffering I think as a society, we need to kind of figure out ways to not linger so much in suffering yeah. um, and try to honor those people that are still here the best that we can, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and I believe that and, and, you know, again, it, it obviously was traumatic and I, I endured a lot of, of, you know, hard times for what I witnessed, but mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, again, I've, chosen to use that as an, as a, as a moment that, that again, we were connected, you know, and, and my dad and I always were, it was a tender, tender experience um, to again, be there in that moment for him as he, as he, you know, was gone. And I also, I, I remember that about you when I met you, I just, I loved the way that you framed things. Cause I'm a believer in that, right? Like we mm -hmm. can't, <laughs> we can't necessarily dictate what happened to us, but we can choose our response and our reaction and, and, you know, being response able, I've always loved that, you know, that I can, I can choose how I respond to something. And, and I knew I could either wallow in the misery of all of that and be the, you know, woe is me. And trust me, there were days I did that or I could do something different and I wouldn't be alive if I'd stayed wallowing. I bet you can relate to that as well. I, I knew if I was going to live, I had to find a way to make this experience be of use to somebody else and helpful 
you know, to others who could still be helped. So how long have you been sober then? So I got sober uh, just nine years ago, which is, is well, that's more than me. Yeah, nine years. <laughs> that's more than me. Now, were you prior to that moment, uh, was the descent that you, that you were in, was that a lot to do with your dad and, and a lot of other issues because yeah. everybody has their own reason why they go down those roads. Mine was cause I was bored. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine really, yeah. Mine started early, you know, as a teenager, um, and, and it really came, I mean, it goes back a long way. So when I was eight, um, I was sexually abused by a neighbor and it wasn't just mm. a neighbor. It was a really close. I think family. you talked about that at the event. Yeah. I remember family that. Friend, and it was a, it was a female, it was their daughter. And mm. you know she was wow. quite a bit older than I, but our babysitter thing. And you know, it, mm-hmm. it was an experience I internalized and didn't tell and, you know, kept that secret. And then I developed scoliosis. Um, again, mm. I think our body maintains energy and one of the, manifestations that can happen from your throat chakra, which is our ability to communicate, you know, being blocked is scoliosis. So I had a pretty significant curve when I was 11 years old and had to have surgery. So my first back surgery happened at 11, which meant I got introduced to morphine. I mean, I had a pain pump that I could, you know, as many times as I wanted. Granted, I didn't get it every time I pushed it, but I remember that first time I felt that through my veins. How old were you at this time? 11. I felt oh, wow. a sense of relief. Holy cow. And, you know, thankfully, you know, I, I, I didn't start abusing opioids at, at a young age, you know, but I did start utilizing things that I would find in my home. My father had prescriptions galore. And so I would take his medications. I would drink, you know, I found alcohol at a young age and, and unfortunately had the ism, you know, alcoholism runs in my family. My father was also an alcoholic. Um, his alcohol changed forms as many of ours do over the mm-hmm. years, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, but yeah, I always, my body always reacted differently. Once I started drinking, I didn't stop till I blacked out, passed out or Lord knows what I did. So then how old were you when your dad passed away? I was 26. I was okay. 26. So you had that, you had that between 11, 12, 13, all the way to 26. And then you have a traumatic event on, you know, on top of the trauma you had as a child that had to set you off again, down another road of just like you say, despair and misery. And, uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, my, at this point I was a single mom. I had two kids and of course, each time I would get pregnant, you know, or I would try again to, to get sober and, you know, try to be this, this, you know, mm-hmm. mother and, and not go back to the, you know, old crappy coping strategies I had. And I'd make it for a year, two years. Right. And then I, right. it was always alcohol for me. I'd always have a drink again. And then before you know it, I was back to weed or, you know, cocaine, whatever it was. I Okay. I, so started alcohol and then manifest. Yep. And then it would go to other things. And, so definitely when my father died, you know, I mean, the first thing I did when I left his home, my girlfriend came and got me and I went and got high, you know, I bet. And, and I just needed that to just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. That was, that was what you were used to doing. Yep. And then alcohol just became again, my, my master for the next, you know, 10 years. And, and the last few years obviously were really, really intense and difficult, but I just had this awakening, you know, where I, I recognized I was, heading down the same path he had. And that if I didn't find recovery of some sort, um, that I was going to end up just like him. You know, I, I was in that place. I was at those jumping off points where I didn't see a life without alcohol or with it. Right. I could drinking wasn't working anymore, but yet I didn't know how to exist without it. And I also knew that I couldn't kill myself. I could not do that to my kids. I couldn't. 
So why was that day you quit any different than the preceding days? I mean, because I went through the same thing. I want to hear, I want to talk this through with you because I had an epiphany moment in a mirror and, and it's odd. I, it wasn't, you know, I'm not religious at all. I'm agnostic. So it wasn't anything that I had somebody talking in my ear, but I want to talk about you. I want to see why that day. Yeah. So my sobriety birthday is June 23rd of 2013. And, you know, my, my bottom, if that's what we want to call it, you know, really mm -hmm. because my, my son, you know, who at the time was, was 17, almost 18. And I had gone out drinking like I always did. And I mm -hmm. didn't come home and nobody knew where I was, who I was with. And I was supposed to pick him up. I didn't. Oh. And he left a voicemail, um, 28 missed calls. Right. But his last voicemail just said, um, you know, I can't do this anymore. And, and I hope you're, I hope you're dead because I'm so tired of worrying where you are and what you've done. And, and, you know, I, when I heard that it, it gutted me and I just thought, again, what am I doing? And so I, I, I came home, I <laughs> made my way back to, you know, the local AA meetings that I'd been to a million times, but, you know, I never recognized myself as having a problem. And, and just began a journey into really getting into why did I drink, right? Why did I drink and use? What was I trying to cover up? You know, finally getting honest with myself and looking at who I'd become and what was I running from? And, hmm. you know, thankfully that day is the day that, you know, there's not been any mind altering chemical that's even entered my body since I've had surgeries <laughs> without anything since because I, I just don't dare awaken that, that beast again. Right. And so. It's I'm so in awe of where you I just, that's, and I didn't know that part about you. Does your son understand the significance of that comment he made? I know he made it out of anger, but now he made it to save your life. I mean, I don't think he probably realized that that was going to be what was your epiphany moment. Yep. And I tell him every year on that birthday, you know, it guts me every year, but I always say, thank you. You know, thank yeah. you for what you said. Cause you did, you saved me. I would not be here. Hmm. I wouldn't. If you hadn't said that, I needed to hear the truth from you. So thank you for loving me enough to be honest with me, even though it hurt, even though it was hard. Yeah. And, and he, he may have, you know, we've <laughs> all said those statements in the heat of the moment where, you know, you kind of really mean it, but yep. you don't yep. like, I hate you. You know, I, you know, you don't hate that person. You just hate the moment. Yep. You hate the situation, not the person. Yeah. And, um, but hearing your story and people hear my story, then they, when they reflect on their own lives, then they can see that there is hope. And, you know, I never did drugs, but I did everything else in regards to addiction, you know, gambling and drinking and all the other stuff that goes with that, the deceit, the lying. And so, you know, again, I start thinking of epiphany moments people have, and I'm always intrigued on why that day, you know, what, what made you, I mean, I'm sure up to that point, you had hundreds of opportunities where that could have been the day you quit, Absolutely. but there's something about that day. And for me, I just kind of got tired of being tired. Yeah. Now yeah. I was 52 at the time. And I just, I said, dude, looked in the mirror and I'm like, come on, man, you buried, you buried a child. What the F you doing? I mean, I, what, what, a, what meeting is going to be more impactful than going to Seth's funeral? or service, you know, what, there's no meeting on the planet that can impact me. Like, so what, what it's like, if that's not going to change me, what is And nothing, I just have to quit. So do you attend meetings and, and do you, do you still have yeah. support? Cause yeah, I do. Yeah. 
I do. Good, good for you. Right. Yep. You know, and I know everybody's recovery is different. And yeah, you know, I had moments where I, I didn't go. Your way's the right way. Yeah. You know, during the pandemic, I, I quit going to meetings because they weren't available. And and again, for me, the meeting is about that support, right? Those people yeah. who are like me that when I say yep. the crazy stuff I did, they don't look at me like I have two heads. No, because they they live the same <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's what I love is the, you know, the, the, the folks and the camaraderie and yeah, you know, it, it, and then I got back into them um, this last year. I was probably, I guess it was the end of the of 2020, you know, I kind of felt myself spiraling mentally again. I, you know, I didn't really have a program I was working or again, connection. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just got back in my own head. And I remember my husband came home from work and I said, sit down, I'm going to tell you something. And of course he looks at me like, what? And I said, I don't <laughs> need anything, right? I just need you to shut up and hear me. And there I said, go. I'm either going to drink or kill myself. Like, that's where my brain is right now. And he's all, okay. And I said, I'm not going to do either, right? Like, I don't want to do either of those things. Right. That's where I'm at. Yeah, and, I, know, you know, I know that feeling. Yeah, you know, and I I just gone through, my kids both got married during the pandemic. And so I kind of was in this crisis of like, who am I now that I'm not a mom, right? Like, I don't. Right. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, I could drink again. Nobody would even notice. And then I went, no, we're not doing that. Yeah, you would notice. Yeah, <laughs> Your I husband would. would notice. And so, yeah. So, you know, I ended up getting back into my meetings and back into my therapist okay. and just kind of been doing that the last few years. And it's been- How, how's, how's the uh, how's the kids been with everything? They're so great. My my kids are my, my whole life. You know, my son just made me. So again, here's what a cool story. You know, my, my kid is nothing but gracious. He's always just been loving and forgiving to me. And he just made me a grandma. I have two twin mm, little good for you. babies that I get to be a part of their lives. And you good know, for you. Never, Congratulations. Never wasted. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'll tell you what, that certainly, I, you know, I go back again, not to compare stories, but it's hard not to, yeah. um, to think about had Seth been an only child. I, I don't, I don't know where I'd be right now, but the fact I had Roman and Ian, you know, as a support person, people right there, whenever that, you know, I didn't have ever had any thoughts of suicide until last Christmas. I don't know if I shared that with you at the talk. Sometimes I bring it up spontaneously. Most times I don't, because I'm not something. It's like my story's difficult enough as it is. I don't need to add suicidal ideation on top of it. And, um, but I did had a brush with suicide over Christmas that, you know, terrified the hell out of me. And I talk about it now regularly on podcasts and stuff, but I guess where I'm going with that is like, you know, without the two boys in my life, I'm not real. I don't, I don't know. I put it this way. I really have complete sympathy for those that lose their only child. I had two that I could put all my resources into all my, my love, my attention. And I was watching my wife self-destruct during that time. And so I sat in the sidelines and had to make those tough decisions. You know, do I take the two boys and move out and kind of let her, she's the adult. I got to take care of the kids. Right. I mean, kids, you got to take care of them. The adults should be able to take care of themselves. Well, you know, I just, um, watched a really good human being that meant a lot to me, uh, go down a, that, that bitter road. And, um, I don't mean to ever bring up her, her ending as judgment because she was the most beautiful soul I'd ever met in my life. And she was a great wife and a great mom and and still is and not many moms have to be dealt that card absolutely and so for a parent that hasn't lost a child i don't i never asked them this question but i know they think it what would you do if you lost your child and you know it's a terrible 
it's a terrible social experiment to play with people, but the Stoics used to practice something called negative visualization, which I think is very important. And that's the mindset where you're kissing your daughter or son goodnight and you close your eyes and you actually think that if they weren't here and you're looking at an empty bed and then immediately all the little things that you're mad about, the, the C they got in school or the fact they did senior skip day or they got caught with a vape pen, things that just look so effing catastrophic at the moment, they're still alive. Yeah. I would take any worst moment with Seth to have him back. I, mm -hmm. I'd give anything to have him back. And I don't, I don't have that opportunity. And that in itself is gratitude yeah. for the moments I did have that opportunity that I squandered that now I will never squander those opportunities again with my dad who's still alive and my two boys and, you know, um, other relatives. And, you know, I think I talked about Brighton, my son's daughter. She was born three weeks after he died. Yeah. So I have a beautiful little granddaughter that stays here. And, you know, I grew up with three brothers and three sons. So for me, learning the girl stuff is, you know, it's, it's a different deal. And the other day, the other day I put um, a ponytail in for the first time. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and I posted it on social media and I commented that I did braids for the first time because I didn't know there was a difference. Sure, sure. And, you know, all the moms are trying to be really nice to this, you know, <laughs> widowed single dad out there. And they're like, oh, by the way, Jeff, uh, those are ponytails. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they're not braids. Because yeah. I was patting myself on the back that I was doing braids. Oh, you get a so big I'm, I'm, effort. I love when dads and grandpas do girl hair. It's so cute. <laughs> yeah. And so I've just learned to look at all this crap that's happened to me. Some of it was self-induced. Some of it was just really bad, you know, just, just bad stuff, you know? Um, but if you live long enough, Taryn, yeah. you're going to have, it's mathematically impossible not to have death and chaos and tragedy. And so it teaches us to really appreciate the moments that we have, like right now, where we can have a good conversation and both laughing and smiling in the midst of some really traumatic things that happened to both of us. Yeah, agreed. Right. I mean, that's life. Life's going to happen and everybody's eligible for the crap. So, you know, being prepared to some level of, you know, how am I going to respond and what can I do? And, you know, I, I, and I can relate to the kids, right? My, my kids' names are tattooed on my wrist. I love it. And those are my reasons for living. You know, they're right. my reasons that I stayed. And, and I think why I kind of tubed it right when I did, because I felt that, you know, ugh. What do I do now? And so, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I'm glad you had your, your boys too, to kind of pour your, your heart into. What are some of the coping mechanisms that you work on each day? I mean, I've shared mine at length and in, in my book and in my podcasts and stuff, but what are some things that Taryn does routine related each day? That's your self-care. Yeah. So big things for me, um, I start every day and again, I'm not a religious person by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I always joke I'm a recovering Mormon because I left the Mormon church. Well, you're you're in Mormon country. <laughs> I left I left that, and I don't practice any kind of organized religion, but I absolutely have a, a spirituality, and so Amen. I I start each morning with just you know quiet time to just reflect, and and you know I read a lot of of things, I meditate, um, I really try to stay in today. I mean that's been mm. the biggest tool that I've learned, um, something that I, I really appreciate that I learned in, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous specifically, but, you know, just the power of the 24. I remember meeting a dad once who again had lost his child to suicide. And he said, you know, my favorite statement I always used to tell my son is be where your feet are. Hmm. 
you know, be where your feet are. And I, I tattooed I like them that. on the side. I like that. I love it, right? That's really good. Because like, here right now, I'm good. We're fine. Like all of us, we're okay right now. How could I have never heard that phrase before? Right? I <laughs> I've never heard it. I love it's it. It's such a no-brainer, as they say, be where your feet are. And, and like you can that. see what that means. And so that's been my biggest tool is I just try to stay in today, accomplish what's in front of me, right? Um do the next right thing. When I screw up, own it, try to fix things quicker rather than holding on to those, you know, resentments and crap that I did and lying and just trying to stay in today and, and be a good human. And, um, you know, I still engage in, in therapy. I, you know, right now right. I'm back on, you know, an antidepressant this last two years and, you know, I've needed it. And, and yeah. I'm always that weirdo that gets in this space where I'm like, maybe I should go off it. Maybe I don't need it. <laughs> It's the Stop. person in your voice talking to you. Right. And so, <laughs> or yeah. persons, sometimes it's multiple people. Definitely. And then I golf a lot. My husband and I love oh, cool. golf. And golf is something I did with my dad. And so whenever I'm out golfing without awesome. fail, little dragonflies hover and hang out by me. And I choose to believe those are my, my angels checking in and saying hi. And sure. So, yeah, I just try to stay present and be of service to other people and yeah, not, not be a dick. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's sometimes for some people hard not to be, um, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Especially in today's so, world, man. <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk about your advocacy. Um, you got pulled into advocacy for the same reasons I did. And, and what's funny, Taryn, and maybe you'd agree with this, but I have people that quite often will comment, you know, Hey Jeff, you know, you're, you're helping so many people and what you're doing is great. And I always have to either chuckle inside because what they don't realize is I'm helping myself. Totally way before I'm helping anyone else. Mm -hmm. And is that an ulterior motive? I don't know what it is, but the reality is, you know, if I'm not at good mind, body, and soul myself, I'm of no good to you, to anybody at the presentation we did in Salt Lake or my kids or my dad. So that self-care thing is so imperative, you know, that, that we work on that every day. And I try to spend two hours a day. It's hard. And that includes meditation and you know, quiet time and reading and, and uh, exercise and the elliptical and light weights. I kind of lumped that into two hours a day, but I think if, if people looked at self-care as like eating or using yes. the restroom or, t or taking a shower, putting on deodorant, right. it's just part, it needs to be part of your daily routine. It isn't something that gets in the way of your day. Like, oh, I have to do self-care. It's like, mm -hmm. huh? You have to do your day. Self-care yeah. is what you, you need to do, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Eating, sleeping, you know, exercising, like you mentioned, you know, no, right. I agree with that hundred percent. What would you tell, uh, let's, let's focus a little bit with kids. You do, do you do much work with adolescents and, um, okay. What do you tell the kids that are really struggling right now with, um, all the, the issues with social media and, um, comparison on social media and, uh, the fact that there's this fantasy world out there that people think is real when they watch all their celebrities and all their other friends on TikTok making millions of dollars. And so they get really down on themselves, like they're letting people down. What words of wisdom would you give to kids that are struggling right now, which is probably the majority of them or most of them? Mm -hmm. You know, I just try to validate kids, especially where they're at and meet them where they're at. You know, I always get told when I go into schools, they call me the teenage whisperer. And it's not because I do anything mm. special. I'm just real. I, I'm not pretending that I have my crap together because I don't. Right. I, I'm very open about where I've been and what I've done and what helps me. And that enables them to feel like they can open up, you know, something that 
that I've always talked about is, and, and we kind of, we, we joke about it, right? I say, if we all took our dirty little secrets, right? That thing that we think if anybody knew we had done and threw them in a mm -hmm. pile, you know, we'd realize that all of our crap stinks and we'd be like, Hey, I'm mm -hmm. not so bad. Look at what that person did. You right. know, and I just tried to normalize that we're human, right? We're human and we're having this human experience. So we're not always going to be perfect. We are going to screw up and make mistakes, you know, and what can we do with that? And what can I learn from it? Especially here in my state, there's such a problem with perfection, as you mentioned, and and people strive to be this, you know, perfect thing. Well, that doesn't. You think, it, you think it's because it's a, a religious religion, area that you're in? For sure, for sure. There's very high standards and expectations of folks within the the LDS faith, and and if you fall, you're probably yeah. not. I don't know if shun's the correct word, but if you if you you know have an affair, or you do something where you know basically you acknowledge that you're human, you made a mistake. And you're regretful and you you you're apologetic i mean is is that area or is that society forgiving or they just say yeah, no nope. some some yes and some no and that's one of the biggest issues i continue to see plague our youth and and adults too is that that humiliation factor right when we gay teens are five times more likely to take absolutely. their own lives and that's just absolutely insane it's ridiculous it's that's an adult problem yeah that can't happen and i'm i'm a huge fan and advocate for our lgbtq youth you know mm -hmm, I was me too I was at the queer prom just a couple of weeks back and I had just cut my hair and they were so funny. They're like, Taryn, are you a lesbian? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, did you just profile me because of my haircut? You know, we you joke. said you were, you said you were. <laughs> but what oh, if that's I hilarious. Am? Yeah. Oh, what if I am? Yeah, oh, I love it. That's hilarious. So yeah. What if I am? I just love being with, you know, the, the people who maybe do feel marginalized or not seen. I just, I think everybody deserves to feel empowered and have a voice and a space. And, and those are the people I want to hang out with. Right. You know, my lens changed a couple of years ago when my youngest came to me that he was gay and, you know, I'm a heterosexual white male living in Iowa. It's like, <laughs> could you put like average dad on my forehead? <laughs> and, uh, it's like, you know, my youngest son, you know, I, I didn't see any signs. I mean, what signs are there? He wasn't wearing makeup and dresses and stuff. And, but my friends, after he came out said, you know, I, my husband and I, my wife and I were talking, we kind of thought maybe Roman, you know, maybe he was, you know, maybe he was gay. And so when the day Roman told me, you know, I did the, the absolute thing that you shouldn't do <laughs> is I first say to him, well, don't commit yet, Roman, maybe it's a phase. Yeah which is just so naive and ignorant. And, and, you know, he was 17 when he told me this by then it's not a phase, Yeah. but I didn't know any better. And then immediately I retracted and I apologized. And then we went on like three days later and did a podcast called an act of love. It's on my podcast. If you go pull it up, you can see it. And we kind of role play the moment he told me, mm -hmm. I think I was watching a football game and I did the exact thing you see in a commercial that you'd expect. Hold on. Got to watch this play. You know, then I'll listen to you. And the son's trying to tell him the big moment, you know, Hey dad, I'm gay. And, and so there's a lesson to be learned in that. And, there, and what really got me to really dive into this and be a huge supporter as well was when a friend of mine told me that somebody he knew, it's one of these stories, yeah. that came home and their 35-year-old son had hung himself in the closet. Mm. And in the suicide note, he had come out that he was gay. He actually got married and had two kids. But he had been gay his whole life, but his parents, he couldn't go tell them because of their church and that he felt bad for mom and dad being like shunned from the community. And and when you see something like that, you just want to put your freaking hand through the wall. Like, are you are you kidding me? Somebody took their life over over that that is so 
preventable. Yeah. It just doesn't have to happen. No. And, um, that got me really a big advocate in the LBGTQ community and, uh, obviously not as, not as active as it sounds you are, but when I say big advocate more by voice at this yeah. point, um, but I've learned a lot. I'm 56, you know, as far as I know, we don't have any of that in, in, in my side of the family. So it was a very new opportunity for me to learn about these things. And, but it's just Roman and I have the closest relationship for a father and son yeah. that we can have. And, and I, I just value the fact he could trust me totally. that I was the first one. He was able to tell mom, uh, tell Prudence before she died. And he always tells me now, God, I'm dad. I'm so happy. I told mom that, that she knew, you know, and, and, um, that's something he has to take with him the rest of his life that he's proud that he told her. And, and she loved him. Like I knew she would. My, my wife was unbelievable understanding that stuff. And she would have been, had she been here and not went down the road of alcohol and all that, she'd have been a you know phenomenal, uh, mm mom and grandma for everybody. But anyway, I don't know where I'm going off on that story, but, okay. um, I love it. Thanks for sharing that with me about Roman. I, I think that's neat. You know, and I, I always tell our, our queer kids when we're chatting too, I said, again, remember as parents, sometimes our reactions suck. So give us yeah. a chance to do it over. And I love that you guys had to do over, right? Cause heck, I mean, and that happens in normal situations, right? That isn't as, as big as something like coming out, you know, we can freak oh, yeah. out over a grade like you were talking, right? And it's, it isn't yeah. important. So give me a chance to have a do-over. And I wish we Yeah, could. I, I, I tend to put my foot in my mouth. I remember the time I, I asked a lady, a friend of my wife's a few years back when, when she was due, she wasn't pregnant. Oh, I love those <laughs> that didn't, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> so I never ask. I never ask. I don't care if the, if the damn baby's like tomorrow, right? I don't take a chance anymore. <laughs> Cause I've, I'm over one on that, you know? Um, yeah, but that, that's when you're a man and you do that. It's, it's horrific. It's like, God, why didn't you just not say anything that the default option's always right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, so back to your advocacy, you know, in, in the Salt Lake city, Utah area, you know, harm reduction. I know in Iowa's just way behind the, the way behind the eight ball here. We don't have many, even recovery community centers. We only have four in the state of Iowa. We have one in Cedar Rapids. It just opened the doors last week. So I know where Iowa stands and we're kind of in the, in the, you know, medieval times when it comes to addressing these issues. How's, how's Utah as a state and specifically how's Salt yeah. Lake city? Utah has done a phenomenal job. Quite honestly. That's what I heard. Yep. We've got, you know, again, harm reduction has been a huge priority naloxone and training mm -hmm. and hits and overdose awareness days. And, you know, and then we look at, you know, recovery communities and we, we hold recovery day events and, and things. Mm -hmm. And so there is a really great sense of that. And then suicide prevention has been huge in our state. Um, we have, you know, an entire coalition and paid positions at our state legislature has helped to write, implement and create mm -hmm. There's right now this brand new campaign called Live On, and you may remember Carol talking yeah. about this. Yep. Live On Utah is a um, our Instagram, right? But there's a, a playbook that is giving people lessons on what to watch for and how to help somebody. And we were looking at the numbers just yesterday, and gosh, there's been over a million views to that page, mm. which is phenomenal. Because again, we want to meet people where they are. You know, we have to get rid of the stigma that surrounds this stuff. So you know, going on to Instagram to learn about suicide and mental health, you know, who would have thought, but that's where people are. So why not meet them there? Um, so there's a lot of good stuff that's happening in our state. You know, we've made some significant improvements like everyone else. We still have a long ways to go too. Um, but I'm grateful for the momentum that, that we're experiencing right now and hope it, it continues. Well, the uh, organization helped me through, what was it called? Uh, 
one for veterans command. Um, what was it oh, called? Continue mission. Continue mission. Wow. What a, what a great, I'm trying to get them on, on my podcast. I was really awesome. impressed with what they're doing to help the, the veterans and, um, Josh and Melissa are good people. And those two, again, we've been working with them for years, you know, and just what he's been able to do and, and take his own experience again, right. And, and connect and bring veterans together for, you know, fun and, and outside activities. And again, it's not this drum glum, you know, Hey, this is mm -hmm. crappy what happened to us. It's, Hey, we're still going and let's join together. And yeah, I love those two. They're, they're just incredible humans. I was glad that you guys connected when you came. You know, there's a, there's a dynamic here where as an advocate, you know, five years ago, I could kind of care less about mental health. And I was an investment counselor focused on making money, kind of capitalistic mindset. And, um, all of a sudden I get thrust into mental health advocacy, you know, and I go into it, you know, guns a blazing initially, mm -hmm. like, like a mad dad, you know, I was mad. Yeah. And then I kind of pivoted to more of, um, using all this is, is not really being mad because that's a negative energy, but finding inspiration in all this. And so what I get sometimes confused with is, you know, the more I go down a strong advocate, the more people really close to me worry about my mental health. <laughs> it's like, because, you know, I don't really have a life. I mean, I do, I think I do, but when I get up, my first thoughts in the morning are, you know, working on whatever project I'm working on, it's all derived, you know, focused on mental health. Yeah. When I go to bed, the last things I look at on my phone on my computer are always some article on harm reduction or hard article on, and it's like, it's hard for me because I don't look at it as work. I don't look at it as even a hobby to me. It's, it's just like who I've turned into, yeah. but I do worry that I get, I'm too big. I'm too focused sometimes. So like, what do you do to, to just get away? I mean, what, what's your, or, or do you, can, can you walk away? No, I, I think you have to, right? And there's definitely times. I have like, a tough time right now doing it. It's hard. And I'm, I'm with you. I remember those days. And, you know, I just did a presentation earlier today and the gal pulls me aside after she goes, how do you talk about suicide every single day? And I've done it for right. 20 years. I said, I know it's heavy. And there are some days where I'm like, no S words. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's not talk about it. <laughs> And that'll be this weekend. You know, I'll turn off my phone. I'll turn off my email. I'll, um, I'll check out, you know, I even had to get off Facebook. Um, and I know that sounds so silly, but you know, I always have people reaching out to me and I, of course I want to be there and help people, but yeah. I also have to be able to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember my husband and I got married. He's like, between your Facebook, your two emails, your this, your, when do you like, can you talk to me? Hi, Where do I stand? You know, can you text me? <laughs> and I thought, you know what? You're right. I have divulged so much of my life giving to people right. and I don't regret that. I don't, you know, I, I needed that. That was a right. large part of my healing, but then now it's gotten to that kind of shift where it says, okay, I got to take care of me or I'm not going to be any good if I, I want to keep doing this. And so, yeah, I have to definitely take breaks and and just kind of check out. And again, sometimes that means removing the email off the phone, right? It's little right. things, but just so that you're not tempted to, to open it, to check and, yeah. you know, feel like I have to respond right then. Cause that's, that's what I think our life experience taught us. My life experience taught me that the worst possible shit that can happen happened. Mm -hmm. And so and I, our tensions, fight or flight sometimes. <laughs> our tension spans are so short now that we don't really want to work at anything. You know, we want to 
fix an issue, give me, me, give me a pill, you know, give me a Ted talk, you know, (laughs) give me a, a book and people don't realize it, you know, to get to where you want to get to, I want to be, it's two hours a day, every freaking day, no shortcuts. I tell my boys when I get on my elliptical, like at seven o'clock on a Friday or something, all my friends are out at dinner and doing stuff and I'm running my elliptical. Roman's like, what are you doing? I go, if I don't run, I die. I got that. I've got that mindset that, and it's not to get buff or get big. It's literally for my self-care. Uh, and there's days I don't want, I, matter of fact, I tell my boys the best runs I've ever had are the days I don't want to run. Right. It's like, gives me the most when I'm done, I'm like, and that's where I talk to people when I give my talks. Now I've, I've got, I've changed a little bit from when you saw me talk, but I like to talk about, about grief and suffering. And even with, for men, you know, about, about the ability to cry and most men feel that feeling, you know, you've teared up a few times. I think I have once or twice in this, this so far. And I think for a lot of men, they, they repress that because it looks like a sign of weakness, but I've been getting men now to look at this as like going to the mental health gym. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I got your bag, I got my bag. I jump in the car, I go to the gym, which is an analogy because I work out in my house actually. But, but if I go to the gym, you know, I I go to the front doors. I really, I don't really want to go in there most of the times, you know, even when I work out here, a lot of times I don't really want to go work out, but every single time I'm done 100% of the time, I'm happy that I did it. And I talked to men about crying. When have you ever cried? I mean, really cried and felt worse. Never. It's, it's like almost impossible to cry and feel worse. You feel better. You just feel better when the tears dry up and you get, you get that feeling where it's like, okay, that ship has sailed for the time being eyes clear up and you can talk. It's like, it's a mental health workout. Totally. So I've been talking to men about looking at crying in in regards to working out because a lot of men can relate to that. Not that women can't, but you talk about the gym and all of a sudden men's eyes light up, you know? Um, yeah, so I've been I've been equating it to when you have that feeling coming, it's like with the feeling you have going to the gym. And how many times you walk out of the doors on the way out and you feel worse? It's the same way with crime. The middle of your despair, you know you're halfway through or you're getting close to being done. It's like being almost done with that set of weights. And that's the mindset we have to have with suffering. It's just yeah. it's something needed. It's cleansing. I don't fight it anymore. Um, I'm not saying I look forward to it, but I don't not look forward to it. You follow me? Yeah. Because I know I'm going to be better. Every little time I break down, another layer kind of builds up. Yeah. And it's like scar tissue, you know? I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing that out there if you kind of think that way too. I think tears, for me, tears are when my spirit recognizes truth. And that's why it it comes out of my eyes. And I've always said that. That's where I know I'm in touch with something that is like to my core and to my spirit. And so I, yeah, I, you know, how even this is women, right? It's been socially acceptable for us to cry. We've just been labeled dramatic. But, you know, we, <laughs> well, for some, it's not a label, but, <laughs> but, but I know just as many men are that are, that are dramatic right? as well. Yeah. But again, I, you know, I think we all have done that where we apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm being emotional. I think I even did that before. And I'm like, gosh, when do we stop doing that? Why do we, why, right. do, we, why do we apologize for how we feel? you know? Right. And, and instead, like you talked, you know, we talked when we started instead, just embracing it and allowing it, you know, that's been me this last week. I've, 
I was sharing with you, I've kind of been all over the place with my emotions. You know, I, it's 20 years for us. And so, wow. well, yes, I'm so grateful I had him for 26. I'm getting to that threshold where I'm going to have lived more of my life without him than with him. And that's just bittersweet, right? And it just makes you pause and go, yeah. oh, man. And, and yet, you know, but I don't let it overwhelm me. It, I mean, mm -hmm. those, those feelings I used to, you know, to, yeah. <laughs> an excuse to yeah. you know follow and just have this moment where today i can just feel it and it's okay and it's okay that i miss him that's what it is right i miss mm -hmm. him i miss him like you miss your boy and you miss your wife i miss him right my soul longs to just feel his spirit here again and and one day i'll get to have that i believe someday somehow some way we'll, we'll yeah be around each other but so you're a spiritual person. You're not overly religious. Um, I'm in the same boat. Um, I'm matter of fact, the, the word, even like the word faith, I get, I get very frustrated because religion thinks they own the right of that word. All right. And, and I had a lady the other day, the, don't we all say the other day, but <laughs> I was in Denver for our last stop and it's an awesome facility. Um, it's a free spiritual community. I mean, Ryan was on my podcast last week. I taped it. I just love what he's doing there. But it's 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 in a church, but it's a spiritual type format. But they are they are religious. They are you know the, the um, and so after we were done, I gave my speech and uh, people were signing books and stuff. And this lady came up to me, and bless her heart, which is ironic coming from an athe um, agnostic person. <laughs> I'm not atheist because I don't claim I don't know. I just sure. I claim anyway. We won't, we won't get into that. I'm agnostic. That's what I like to tell people. Yeah. Um, but she came up to me and she was looking at me with these eyes of like trying to like save me, you know, like I had a demon or something and she was asking some rhetorical questions, but I knew, I knew there was a main question she was trying to get to. So right after about a minute and remember people are coming up talking to me, Hey, great job, Jeff. You really excited me. I'm, I'm going to change my life and I'm signing books. And, and then she just says, do you believe in God? And it kind of set me back because this wasn't the time to ask somebody that, you know, in front of people put me on the spot. I'm in a church with people that some do and some don't, but, and I just kind of almost sarcastically said, which one, because there's 3000 of them. I just, which one do you, which one are we talking about? And I just, I don't know where I, I just kind of said that. And, um, it kind of set her back. And then she went into, you know, Jesus Christ person. I said, I said, I never have, I've never had a sign and, if there is a God, they just, he hasn't spoken to me yet. Maybe he has indirectly. Maybe I'm doing all this because God's speaking to me, but I haven't got that sign. And I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting that. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of surprised her, but I guess I was disappointed because then she grabbed my hand and started praying for me for like three minutes. And <laughs> I'm not saying this, but I'm going to say it. But between me and her, she had the mental illness, not me. Yeah. And I felt sorry for her. I really felt sorry for her that she was so driven to exercise something that I don't have in, like a demon inside of me. I don't know what her ultimate purpose was to convert me, sure. to make me a better human. I think my tour was pretty clear. I'm going around doing a lot of good things to help a lot of people. And if there is a God, I'll get rewarded. If there isn't, then I didn't waste my time. So I don't know. I just... I get, I get frustrated when people think they have to intervene in my life and save me when I'm doing probably more godly things than they are. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know why I got off on that. I can relate to that. I think it's interesting what we deem as, as you know, and again, in today's world, right. As Christian behavior, it's like, 
Jesus said, love everyone, period, end of sentence. I don't know where you're going. <laughs> well, and should, shouldn't, you know, what's more important if you had to pick between the two, I know perf the answer is both, but uh, what you believe or how you behave. Absolutely. Yep. And in my life, the last two humans yep. that have been the meanest to me, that have been the most deceptive, that have been the biggest assholes I know in regards to how they've treated people, mm-hmm. were both highly religious people. Yep. So I don't know if they just felt they were arrogant, that they had a free pass because they have a personal relationship with God and I don't, yeah. so they could treat me any way they wanted. I have no idea, but it's ironic is that the, the people that should be godly, that Mm-hmm. could communicate, pick up the phone, talk about their issues, just F me over yeah. twice. And and it's been like two people in 20 years. Yeah. So it's not something that happens very often. No, um, sure. And I don't know if that's just coincidence, but it's like, why can't we all just get along? You know, like Rodney King said, you know, why can't we all just get, and he's exactly right. Why, why can't we just get along? Why does what I believe trump how I act? Yeah. It shouldn't. Nope, it shouldn't. Should I should be able to talk to Taryn yeah. and not really care yeah. what she believes in. If she's good to me, she's good to people. We know we have, we, we have passion. We want to help people get, a, get their lives together. Why does it, why does it matter? Why do you think you have to change me? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. No, I'm sure see. people watching this that are Catholics will probably unsubscribe from me, but <laughs> I'm at a point now where I'm 56. It's like, you know, I, I don't try to upset people, but I'm not going to dance around eggshells anymore. Yeah. You know? Um, if, if God can get you to where you want to go in your life, I'm all for God, but that's your life, you know, and and if I can get to where I'm at with or without God, then that's, that's my choice. And I'm highly spiritual though. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see litter. I pick it up. I see an animal. I go pet it. You know, I'm, I, I cry. I tell everybody I'm with them. You know, I had lunch today with a, a, a vet, Iraq, um, a war vet. He was a paratrooper. Uh, I haven't seen him in 30 years. And we had lunch today, told him in right on Applebee's when we got up, Hey, I love you, man. You know, like 10 people saw us. Yeah. And that's just kind of how I, that's kind of how I've gotten now with connections with people. It's like, we need to set aside agendas and political beliefs and religious beliefs and, or lack of, or whatever, and just meet people where they're at, like kind of what harm reduction does. Yeah. You know, they don't, they, they go right to where the people are at. And that's why, you know, in parts of the country, there's really good success stories. And then in other parts of the country, there isn't, but you know, it doesn't mean we just abolish it because a few, you know, cities have done a poor job with it, you know? No, agreed. I have a good friend that calls it, you know, he says God in skin. And I love that because you know what? I've never seen God, but I, I see, God, I see what I know is God through other people. And it's how right. People- me it's how people interact with me you know, i like that's that i love it god with skin so i'm always like yep that that makes sense to me but nope i'm all about it too it's how we are and who we are as people and the god you know, I I used to... in, the god i believe in is gonna like welcome us with open arms man <laughs> yeah and like like You're my like, son one time <laughs> like my son told me one time he goes you know dad a lot of religious people think that homosexuals will go to hell and he goes if i go to hell i'm gonna have freddie mercury i'm gonna have yeah. you know elton, elton john will be there someday he goes it's gonna and be a rocking place <laughs> he's like well, that's where i want to be anyway he's being sarcastic but it's of like course. you know he's 19 he shouldn't have to be thinking about freaking heaven and hell if he wants to be gay it's like give me a break come on humans yeah. this is not the medieval times we don't live in caves anymore yeah. i mean what someone does in their own 
private life is their own. That's why they call it a private life. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know. I just, am I getting cynical in my old age? I don't know. Okay. Maybe we are, but we're also going to keep trying to let the people who are struggling know that they're loved. And I love that you do that for your boy because it matters. Yeah. And he's been a great role model to his friends and he's got some younger kids that have come to him and said they were gay or bi or, or the, the new terms that are out today that I'm not really up on as much as I should be. But the fact is it he's got that trust with kids and kids have come to him as a mentor. I think that's awesome. It is you know, awesome. I mean, there's kids that are great athletes and they're mentors. There's kids that are, you know, academic going to Harvard and Yale and they're, they're mentors. You can be gay and be a hell of a mentor as well. Yeah. You know, but we don't, we don't look at that very, we don't look at that enough as a society. Yeah. Agreed. You know, all right. Fast hour. Um, how do people reach you? And, uh, I guess what's your social media information and people can follow you on and see what you're doing from your yeah. advocacy and all that. So the only one that I'm active on anymore is Twitter, but it's Taryn. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Taryn underscore. And I follow you. Yep. Yeah. So you're not on, you never been on LinkedIn, huh? I, you know, I dabble in it, but again, there's just one more thing that pulls, pulls right. my, my focus. So I, I don't really do that, a lot of that, but you can reach me email. I'm super accessible. I always reply. Um, but yeah, so T Hyatt at AFSP.org is my, my email and folks are welcome to reach out. I, again, that's who I work for. I work for the American foundation for suicide prevention. It's where I spend all my time and mm. um, AFSP.org also tremendous resources for people who struggle. Lost they are to get involved so let me ask you before we go the, the new 988 number uh, yeah. what how's that been going it's incredible right now we're seeing again increased call volume which we knew we would um, let's just make sure that we're spreading good information right now there's an entire media campaign that's really kind of framing 988 poorly it's you know letting people think that that 988 is us calling the police and it isn't this was created um, even here in the state of Utah this is the brainchild of Senator Dan Thatcher um, again, That's 988 right. is a mitigator. It is uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline still um, just in a three-digit number so that you can get a mental health response to a mental health crisis. Is it pretty much being utilized as you expected or more? More. We definitely have seen more utilization um, and we really haven't even begun to market it yet. What we do still need is there's a multitude of states who need to uh, secure funding, make right. sure that they have you know, the infrastructure in place. Because um, a lot of states just didn't take the time to prepare before it rolled out and went live. So I'm grateful that our state's on top of it. And um, again, we'll keep advocating for more federal funding to ensure that those calls don't go unanswered, that they have people who will be there to support folks. So so people that call that, do they have to be in suicidal ideation mode? Nope. You can call if you're worried about somebody and you just want to help understand how to best support somebody. I called yesterday because I have a friend who needed support in, in Minnesota and my brain went uh, blank, right? So I sure. called and said, hey, here's what I need. And this is where she's at. And what can we do? And that lady was able to help me in two seconds. Get the place. Can you call if you're call. like, um, you know, if you're taking drugs and you're, Absolutely. or is it just mainly suicide? Is it it's, mental health? It's for people in crisis. And again, crisis okay. comes in a lot of different forms. So yeah, if you're having a mental health crisis, substance use, you know, so overdose. Do you think maybe it shouldn't, are we presenting it then maybe a little bit inaccurate by saying a suicide hotline? 
that's what it's been for all these years. And so okay. that's how it's been promoted. But if you look now, it, it really is crisis services. And okay. we're moving away from and, and really embracing and, and kind of encompassing all crisis. And that's good because I think uh, the last thing we want is someone not to call it because they're like, oh, I'm not suicidal, but I'm going to take heroin. Yeah. You know, I don't want to do it. I need someone to talk to. Exactly. You know, I, I think I think we're really missing an opportunity to make sure that that people know that, you know, you don't have to be, you know, literally 20 seconds from taking your life to call the yeah. number. Yep. Okay. You call, well, that's you good. Call if you need somebody to talk to and be able to process what's happening in life. And again, that could be drug use. That could be alcohol use. That could be navigating a nasty relationship, right? There's so many things. You get right. a trained counselor on the phone that can help assess the situation and guide you through what to do next. Well, Taryn, you're a rock star. I really appreciate the time you Thank took today. You. And I know this will be a, this will be a very impactful show for, for a lot of people out there. And if uh, by chance uh, it isn't, then I know I benefited. <laughs> oh, me too. Thank you. You definitely made my day today. Well, have a great, uh, relaxing, non-electronic, shut everything off weekend. <laughs> <You're gonna. laughs> All right. Well, we'll circle back and talk later. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. Thanks, Darren.